HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by MezcalForLife.com. Chava once told me that we drink first with our eyes, then with our mouths, which led to a serious eye infection for me. Stick around after this episode to learn what he meant and how MezcalForLife.com can offer an eyeful. But for now, strap yourself in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. I am Lou Bank. And I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that educates gringo bartenders about agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And today, Chava, I want to share with you a question that I get at almost every one of my tastings. Which is that question, Lou? <laughs> I'm scared. The question is, okay, so you're replanting agave through Sacred, your nonprofit, how many bottles do you get out of each agave that is planted? Oh, Lord. Do they think you have Excel sheets that measure the sugar concentration of each agave that you've ever planted? Well, to be fair, I am a big fan of the Excel spreadsheet. But uh, to be even more fair, no, I have nothing like that. You know, let's go uh, right away to this quote that we've got, this um uh, from from Fortunato Hernandez in San Baltazar Chichicapa, Oaxaca. Uh, let's go to this quote from him talking about yield from a single agave. In this case, the te- is he is it tepestate, tepestate, or tepestate in this community? I have no idea. I think it sounds very in my mouth like tepestate. Well, let's let's hear how he says it and what he talks about yields. No, no, no. We don't make a lot of planning. We just wait for others to cut or buy their agave. One of us will see that there's a pile of agave and we'll bring some more. Then another will see two piles and will bring their share. Until we have four or five piles, which is enough to fill the pit and use five to six fermentation tanks. The mezcal yield of each tank changes drastically depending on the agave. Some are sweet while others are bland. To give you an example, once I bought one ton and 300 kilograms of tepestate and only got three liters out of it. Imagine, after all the work I put in, after refining it and all. Okay, so so there you go. There's there's one example, right? Thirteen hundred kilos to produce three liters. You know the the what I tend to tell people is that generally you're gonna get a liter of spirit out of somewhere between 
10 kilos and 25 kilos of agave, depending on the agave and then depending on the process that the mescalero uses. Yeah, and the weather and uh, so many other factors that, that are involved. But yeah, that's, but sometimes there's agaves that are just, don't like to cooperate very much. Like this tepestate, right? Yes, or jabali itself. <laughs> sure. So, but, but let's, okay, so we've got the quote on, on tepestate. So let's stick with that for a minute, Java. So why would these 1,300 kilos only produce three liters? Well, there's a number of reasons. Uh, it's really weird and it's extremely counterintuitive, right? Because tepestate, at least in, in the general understanding, is one of the agaves that takes the longest to grow. Uh, there's 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 legends and stories of tepestates that are 50 years old, 40 years old. I'll say like, I don't know what's your safe bet on tepestate. Uh, 15, 20 years? No idea. Sure, let's just let's say 15 on the low end. So how like nature doesn't work this way, right? If something takes longer, it makes more. It it never works the other way around. Where if something takes very little time, then it's gonna make more for some weird reason. But espadin grows in down to four years and has so much more sugars than tepestate. How is that possible? How, how does that work? Yeah, you know, maybe it's like literally in order to maintain its lifestyle, so to speak, <laughs> right? This, it, that that it, it needs to eat up the, more of the sugars when it's living. Like maybe the espadine is just storing those sugars and it it's a, a more efficient plant. And therefore, more efficient varietal than uh, tepestate, and therefore it doesn't burn up as much of the sugar uh, during its lifetime. Maybe. Well, yes, may maybe it's crazy because also something, and I don't know if just because it's more scarce, but I will say that tepestate is usually more delicious than espadín. Like, has more complexity. The flavors, for me at least, are like I've had tepestate just blow my mind. So I think that. There's a trade-off, whereas espadín has more sugars, but the flavor tends to be less complex, and tepestate has less sugars, but the flavors are mind-blowing. Would you say that I, sort I, of? I, I would, and then I would also uh, uh, I would uh, chastise myself for saying it. I would agree <laughs> with you on the whole, but you know I've had some amazingly complex espadines as well, and I think you know that harkens back to the idea that it's not just the sugar source that creates the end flavor. It's these 400 decisions that are made in the process that creates the flavor. And you know what I like to talk about a lot is 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 how the sugar in agave is not so different than the sugar in other fruit sources that make alcohol right? yeah yeah it's i mean sugar is sugar is sugar and and the difference in it the, the the difference in agave and the reason that agave spirits are more complex than other spirits is not because of the sugar you need the sugar to make the alcohol but it's all these other little molecular elements that develop in that sugar source that create the aromas and the flavors that come out of these beautiful glasses. And, and 
if you're going to, if there's a reason that we talk about different grape varietals and it's because each grape isn't just like a ball of sugar. There are all those different molecular elements that create different aromas and different flavors. And that's why different grapes produce different flavored wines. Same thing with agave. And so the older sugar source, the fact that it's older than uh, the sugar is older than the sugar in Espadine. I don't think that's relevant at all. I think the relevance is you've got this agave that maybe took two to three times as long to grow as the espadine and therefore it had more time to produce these molecular elements and not only that it has all that history ingrained in it can you imagine 20 years of environmental changes synthesized in a plant yeah can you imagine all the stress and i mean we're we're in 2020 the as my father my father is a farmer and he grows avocado and what he says is you know before mother nature used to have a word she was noble we could believe in her today mother nature is just like she he says in Spanish no tiene palabra she has no honor like <laughs> it'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll rain in the day that it doesn't have to rain and whatever so imagine all those stress factors all that com- environmental complexity Synthesize in 20 years of a plant growing. It's it's interesting. I would say, in fact, the uh, the the the, um, the analogy would be: you take somebody as young as you and compare that somebody to somebody as old as me. And I think if you could ferment and distill us, I would be a much more complex spirit than you would be, Chava. I don't know about that. I think you'll be a lot blander. But uh, let's not. <laughs> 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 let's 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 not dig in there. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, but absolutely, and 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 I think that's true. Just like time, I, I think this in a way, it's uh, you know, we had these conversations about aging, and sometimes what I like to think in the Gavit Spirits world is that aging happened before making the spirit. Yeah, yeah, I co- aging happens inside the agave. So when you have. The, the spirit, you already have an aged spirit in, in, a, in a very weird way. You know, I, I think that actually is a really smart point, and I've used it before. But here's a thought that I've never had before that relates to it, right? Is when you're aging something in wood, what you're doing is you're aging it in a vessel that is really, really old. So I, like I, I, I I'm just gonna throw like I, I'm gonna take that scientific hat you gave mm-hmm. me in an earlier episode <laughs> and just throw it onto the uh, the table here and say I wonder if it's not actually the same that literally what you're saying about it aging uh, in the ground versus aging in the barrel is not exactly right I think it might be on the nose and and what and literally on the nose and what I mean by that is you've got these molecular elements in wood that's been aging for 50, 70, 100 years that are creating these aromas and these flavors, and you're just putting them into the spirit in a different way than you are with the agave spirits. Does that make sense? Yes, and your vessel is the planet. Your vessel is the desert of Oaxaca. Your your vessel is the mountains of La Mixteca or of Durango. So your vessel is basically this extremely complex biosphere, the interaction with bats, with worms, with God. all these elements that coexist with it. You know, that's, yeah, 
all of that and you know i i had a tasting the other night one of these zoom tastings i've been doing and somebody brought up uh caponing and so we talked about caponing for a while and i don't want to get into that now um in this episode i think we covered it earlier and if we didn't we'll do an episode next about that but um the point that that this person brought up was once you capone you're leaving the agave in the ground after you've cut off the uh the reproductive stalk that would have allowed it to produce seeds, right? You leave it in the ground for one month to three years in some cases, and it builds up more sugars and other more molecular elements. But the, the, the pertinent point here is it builds up more sugars. And once you have an open source of sugar out in the wild, things are going to try to eat it. And so you can get these infestations of bugs, right? into these agave plants, eating up the stalks and eating up the, the heart of the agave from which you want to extract the sugar to make your alcohol. And while you're losing sugar, and that's a bummer because that's going to reduce your yield, right? This is an episode about yield. While that's a bummer, <laughs> I also think some of those bugs are going to be crapping and pissing where they're eating, and that's going <laughs> to create other aromas and flavors. Yes? That's so sexy. Uh, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> you are a great salesman, Lou. But yes, and it gets to the point where when we were buying agave, when I was working in Oaxaca, there was this guy that was like, you know what I want? I usually like for a few worms to have been to go into the agave. And there were like these brown stains mm -hmm. that you will sometimes see in the agave. He's like, but I don't want too much. So he will literally go in there and select the agave, the piñas, that had certain amount of worm marks wow. and will separate them to make different fermentation tanks to have a similar ratio. I think, I think what he's doing, this is interesting. I think what he's doing is he doesn't want too much because he doesn't want to have the loss from all of the worms eating it up, but he wants a little bit so that the worms have said, you know what? This is a good one. Yeah, and you just you grabbed it before too many of the uh, other worms got into it. I love that. It's like when I, when I was a kid, my mother will always tell us when you choose a fruit from a tree, try to choose the ones that have been already, you know, like taking a little bit part by the by the birds because they're smarter than you, oh. and they go for the really sweet stuff. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so your mom, uh, your mom is correct. The birds are smarter than you, and I think that's the end of this episode. I think we can end it on that. El final. <laughs> okay, Chava, I'll catch you next time. Adios. Hang on, road trippers. We're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chat Fest coming up. Hey, Lou, uh, I have a question. In the introduction to this episode, did I understand you correctly? You got an eye infection when you followed my advice? Well, you know, to be fair... First, I'm not great at following advice. Well, yeah, I get that, but... And, you know, and second, it wasn't really an infection. My eye just burnt for, you know, a few hours. <laughs> so uh, let me guess. When I told you that we first drink with our eyes, then you actually tried it. Well, yeah, I, I, put the, I put the copita to my eye. Oh, well, that's not as bad as I thought, but that's not what I meant. Yeah, I, I wish I hadn't been drinking puntas. <laughs> oh, Lord. What I meant was that when we drink out of something, it is important not just because of the shape of the vessel and how it affects the flavors, but also because if it looks beautiful, then it creates a beautiful experience, Lou. Is, uh, is this you telling me again in your very, very chava way to get rid of the mustard jars? Uh, like, it, it just... 
I, I cannot understand how can you put something as beautiful as the agave spirits you have in your house and just something like that. But and uh, and you're saying mustard jars aren't beautiful? No, they're the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. And like that's why you need to go get some beautiful vessels at mescalforlife.com. Oh wow, yeah, okay. Yeah, these are beautiful, Java. Right? Mescalforlife.com offers a wide selection of beautiful drinking vessels that will make the experience of drinking beautiful agave spirits even better. I'm using beautiful so much. Mm, I like that. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a drinking game. Every time Chava says beautiful, you drink. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so mezcalforlife.com offers artisanally made copitas for artisanally made agave spirits for that true artisanal Mexican experience. That's right, Lou. And mezcalforlife.com offers so much more too. Mezcalforlife.com can help you find the perfect drinking vessel for your perfect agave spirit. Head to mezcalforlife.com now and you can be set for next week's episode of Agave Road Trip sponsored by mezcalforlife.com. Wow. We're going to chat you up, hope that it don't let you down, as we meander around a single subject. Sometimes it'll make you cry, usually you'll just ask why, sometimes you wonder why you bothered listening. Ooh, chat you up. Ooh, Is this how you, no. chat you up. You're not singing with me. No. I, I'm a little bit terrified. Is this what you spend your afternoons doing, thinking about lyrics? No, these are the, the mornings. Afternoons are very productive for me. So this is Chava and Loose Chat Fest. <laughs> Welcome to the Chat Fest that is a podcast within a podcast that has nothing to do with agave, agave, spirits, or rural Mexico. Usually, though sometimes it does. Hey, Chava. Hey, Lou, you just ate half of the episode with your song. But okay, whatever <laughs> we're going to say, it has to be fast. <laughs> Hey, you know, I want to talk today about uh, when I was a contestant on MasterChef. Do you know MasterChef, Chava? I, I I wasn't sure about it for many years. I, I know it, it happens on TV. For the longest time, I thought it was exclusively Mexican thing. Oh, no. Because it was in the, I, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot. But uh, I know to see you're that. No, you are not an idiot, Chava. We are defined. And this is actually the point that we're going to get to in this chat fest, is we are defined by the things that we see in front of us that sometimes change drastically. But this is about MasterChef right now. Okay, so my idea was that it was something that people will watch at the hair salons and fondas. <laughs> that, 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 that was my impression. Like that, sure. that's where I sure. that's where I used to see Master Chef, and I used to see these ladies getting extremely excited about people cooking, which I thought was uh, strange to say the least back Co- then. Yeah, uh, that was no argument. Agree, hundred percent agree. So, so it is a cooking television show. It's a, one of these competitive television shows that seeks to find. A, well, I guess in, in Mexico it would be Mexico's best home chefs and or home cooks. And in the USA, of course, it's the USA's. I think it's America, though. I hate when they say that. The USA's <laughs> best home cooks. And um, and I was a contestant on season two of this here in the USA. How, how long that was ago? I God, I think it was a decade ago. I think it was ten years yeah. ago. Yeah, because Master Chef, my understanding is it was a phenomenon. No, like it, it, it sort of re- recreated the narrative of the home cook. Like it, it gave it a fancier look. I, yeah, I, I guess I don't know. You know, before I was on the show, I, I haven't had a television set since '99, so I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I 
hadn't really watched any reality TV. And, you know, this guy that they were talking about as the uh, the, the primary host, Gordon Ramsay, I, I knew nothing about him. Didn't know okay, who he was. I, I, I still don't really know, but you were there. You were in MasterChef. Yes, I was there. So I, 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 was, okay. I was one. I, yeah, like, let's get to the guts. I was one yeah. of 100 people flown to Los Angeles um, for this, the two-week taping, if you will, of the uh, the initial episode of season two. And, to, and, and the whole point to that initial episode, and I think it's really two episodes, um, was, is, was? I don't know. Um, to, um, to select who among the 100 contestants would go on to compete, right? So like it's 100 that gets knocked down to 35 that gets knocked down to 18. And and then it, there's, you know, there's a whole season yeah, yeah. that's just the 18 people competing. And then they get thrown off one at a time, something like that. Mm. Okay. Right? And you were not a finalist for sure. <laughs> no, I was not a finalist. So, <laughs> okay, so okay, here's I the just... deal, right? So I, I like they flew, fly you out there and then uh, – and they don't really – you've gone through – you've basically – you you've shown them two dishes that you've cooked and you've submitted like a video um to show them who you are and then you go through literally hours of um psychological testing literally like so so really what they were testing was what kind of person are you going to be on screen really and then they fly you out there and without okay. telling you they're going to do this yeah right without telling you they're going to do this they throw you into a hotel room a little two-bed hotel room uh, with a stranger, somebody else who's a, a competitor, and they take away your room key, and they mm -hmm. take away your cell phone, and they take away your laptop, and they tell you that you are not allowed to talk to anybody else on the show, including the person you're in the room with, and uh, you're not allowed to leave the room without a production assistant, a PA, um, taking you. you. Like, you don't have a key, so you can't really get back in to your room. Um and it's it's all meant. But do they give you a pair of machetes? <laughs> a pair of machetes? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even know where the hell you're going with this. Well, anyway, anyway. Well, uh, like uh, yeah. <laughs> so literally, that first week, um, all you do is you get out once in the morning to uh, hit the gym and grab some quick breakfast in the hotel. And then uh, you can either get out for lunch or for dinner, and you're never sure which it's going to be. Um, and then when they take you out, they take you out in groups. But again, they tell you not to talk to each other. And in essence, what I realized and, – and then the second week is just all taping. And you know, the taping, it's like four or five days of this. It was in a um, – uh, a space where they, they cut stone. So there was a ton of stone dust in there and you had to wear the same clothes each day. You were in there for 13 hours. You had to relatively stay in the same spot, um, each time so that they were going to take in essence, you know, these, these four 13 hour days and edit them down into two half hour, one hour, uh, TV shows. Um, so they wanted you to look like you were there just for one day Right, and and they wanted yeah, they wanted yeah. some consistency. So so my point is, um, you end up spending two weeks in what is meant to be is meant to be serious isolation. The truth is, like all of us became really attached to one another. I I I feel like a lot of it was that we were going through this communal experience together. This this honestly communal suffering, and instead of fighting each other, we bonded. Um, mm. You know, I've still to this day. I've got great, great friends uh, who came out of they, – they were also contestants who came out of that experience. Um, 
but you know, but my point, the salient point to this, as far as I'm concerned, is mm. you know, that experience was a harrowing experience. Being kept away from people and from doing the stuff you want to do and from freedom, really, for two weeks made each of us very much on edge. And I, you know, I, I see, and, and, and that was absolutely their intention. They thought this would be better drama if we can get these people on edge by isolating them. But, but here's the deal, right? Is that I'm seeing this right now as a result of this pandemic, that people are isolated, not in the exact same way, but in very similar ways um, as, as we were during those two weeks uh, in, in Los Angeles. And, and I see people acting in ways that I, that surprise me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, are like, are you talking about your marriage now, Lou? Or uh... <laughs> well, well, truthfully, in, in many ways, I am. I'm, I'm literally talking about human interactions, and I see it here at home. And I have to say to Connie, look, we're both acting differently than either of us would under normal circumstances. Yeah, and uh, I, I think. Uh... I got I get a, I got the smallest glimpse of this because uh, as you know I'm I'm new to Facebook so uh, you invited me to a mezcal group called Smoke Tagave and I've uh, and I've been seeing the comments and I've seen the discussions and I think somebody uh, posted the other day is like right now I'm seeing some hostility where before we yeah. all used to be bonding so much and it was mezcal against the world because that's really how it works. Agave spirits against the world <laughs> because we're the, we're the small kid. We're the small right. skinny kid. We, we, we are me when I was 12 years old. You know, skinny, <laughs> like trying to figure it out. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And, yes, like I, I think it was, there was a very strong sense of communal... Uh, let's do this together. And I, uh, again, like I'm new to this, probably this was there before I, I arrived. But uh, yeah, like I, I can see how people that are very well-respected entities in the context are uh, doing some, like, I'll say like anxiety moves or I don't know how we'll call it. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I, you know, I, I think everybody is reacting more than they would normally react. I think people are ultra sense, and I'm not saying that they're they're that, and I'm not even just talking about smoked agave, right? But you know, I'm not saying that people don't have a point. What I'm saying is that if you start digging into the points, they're reacting more strongly than I think they would under normal circumstances. And and my point is, isn't even that they shouldn't. My point is that I think every one of us needs to be cognizant of the fact that we are living under a time <laughs> the likes of which most of us has never lived under. I like, I had the benefit of going through this isolation for two weeks. Um, and, and I saw, I saw people acting differently than I had anticipated. And now that I know them outside of that, right. I, I get a better sense of who they are. My, my point is, I think we need to love each other. I think we need to be mm. more patient and more respectful than we've ever been because so many of us, and I mean us, because we are one species, we are one community, not just people who love agave spirits, I mean humans. <laughs> we are one big community, and not everybody understands why they're feeling different or why they're reacting the ways they are. And so everyone who everyone who hears this or who has come to this conclusion other ways, I think we need to be more flexible. 
and just more accommodating. Yeah, but there's – and I think there's a fine point to this because, you know, like a lot of Mexicans mock the Americans of how touchy you tend to be with some things. Like we, we, we mock you in like you cannot make jokes in front of Americans because you'll get all touchy and all weird about Screw you. That. It's not true. We won't get touchy. <laughs> right. Right. Like you're – I'm never touchy. But uh, – uh, I like I, I I think like I don't know like the people that I find the most intelligent in my life or that or who I deeply respect intellectually, they are extremely skillful at making fun of things without insulting them. And I, <laughs> no, no, like yeah, like I I think that's a great I think that's a great skill that we need right now because I think it's important to mock things. I think if you are not mocking what you're doing, you're doing doing it wrong. If you sorry to criticize the name of your NGO, but if you think everything is sacred, <laughs> you don't have a lot of flexibility. You do not have a lot of flexibility. But fair. I also think That's there's fair. ways to mo- to mock stuff. And I think uh, these times we need to be extremely skillful about how we make fun of things and how we, we're trying to stretch concepts. Because oh. everybody is on edge. But I think it's a good thing. I really think it's a good thing. Because I I think the easiest way, like as you, you were saying, in MasterChef, they try to isolate you mm-hmm. to give cheap drama, to mm-hmm. get people shouting to each other. And I think cheap drama is boring. I think what it's interesting <laughs> is true drama. And a true oh. drama can be very beautiful. Oh my like, god. Like, you you and well, I have completely different objectives and yet somehow we agree. I've never seen this before. We agree on <laughs> how we should act but we want completely different outcomes. Man, I just I want everybody like you know I and I get why you're mocking sacred cuz frankly I I kind of mock it myself the the name. Um but but <laughs> Like to me, there is one thing that is sacred, and that is the human bond. And I, that doesn't mean that you can't make fun of it, because it can be funny. But the human bond is not just smiles and and laughs. Like I don't know, like people that get married, the 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 moment where they swear, they're not saying like, "Oh, we're gonna be together every time we're having fun." The the human bond it's beautiful because it has all these other characteristics to it. And what I think that is important right now, if it's now that we are in a moment of. Uh, uh, where, where this bond gets more complicated. Like, embrace the complexity, Lou. Let's just not be super nice to each other and not touch every anybody's sensitivities. I don't think that's the, that's the best way to go around this. I, I think we just oh. need to be extremely nice. I, I think we have to be really nice, but not to the point where everything is shallow and, and boring. I don't think we, at this point, at this moment in history, I don't think we have to worry about anything being shallow and boring. I think we just those those of us who are cognizant of of what isolation does to the uh, to human behavior. I think we it is it is uh, the pressure is on us to be more flexible and more accommodating. That's all I'm saying. Like I I completely just I think I I'll tell you what I'll go shallow. I will absolutely go shallow if it helps to calm down somebody who I love and respect who is angry. Okay. And I like that's that is absolutely my behavior pattern right now is I am trying whenever possible to be I, you know to be the person who is trying to calm down a situation even if it means I take some lumps. I'm good with that. Okay, so you're the guy serving the mezcals when people are getting hungry. <laughs> 
No, I'm the guy serving the water is what I am. Yeah, and I'm the one serving the mezcals. There you go. That, that's, yeah. the, that's our different approach. Uh, yes. I think we've stretched this way too long. Uh, but I, I think it's an important conversation. Even if, Yeah. I think it's a very important conversation, and if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, this is going to run uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is the, <laughs> supposed to be the happiest time of the year. So I think it's like this is a good this is my little holiday gift to everybody. Wow, so generous, Lou. Anyway, we're saying goodbye now. Thanks, muchachos. Hasta pronto. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.